if we measure by time to hire, do we then hire the right people?、Mm. If we only measure by cost of hire, do we then spend the resources the right way?、Mm. And if we measure quality of hire, then how do we actually measure that? Is it just by whether or not they stay in the company, or should we also look at their performance? But then, then we can't do that metric the first six months, right, or the first year. We have to say, do they stay the first year, and then we have to see do they actually perform after that first year.、Mm. So, I I I gotta say, I mean, there are plenty of things we can measure on, but I think we have to, especially, you know, Vivino is a tech company.、Mm. We're innovative. We're at the front of something. We、mm. can't do things in recruitment. Like we did in the '90s, then it's not con- consistent with the values of the company, right? Heidi, I am so excited to be chatting with you today. It feels like it's been a long time coming, and、um, yeah, obviously seeing your presence across LinkedIn and engaging with sort of each other's posts, but finally being able to speak to each other, which is just such a pleasure. So thank you for joining us on the Scaling So Far podcast. First off. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.、Um, I've really been looking forward to this, and like you say, we've been engaging on LinkedIn and other medias for quite some time. So yeah, I'm really stoked to be here. Thank you. Awesome. And just for our listeners, and to kick us off, like, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Absolutely.、Um, so, like on, on a personal side,、um, a twin mom, and I like to say that because. Having twins、uh, when I was 45 years old was really a life changer. Going from being a career-oriented, very focused woman、um, to suddenly having to take care of kids、um, was quite a life changer. So that that was a life lesson and something that has、um, definitely impacted my life the last five years.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then、uh, I'm married. I live outside Copenhagen in the countryside、uh, on a professional base. <clears throat> I actually came into HR a little bit weird, I would say, because I spent about eight years in telco,、um, where I was working as a secretary, as a coordinator, and then the last five years I worked as a product manager、um, and responsible for developing products. And at that time, that was actually from the concept to developing it, to launching it, and the whole marketing. So you got the whole life cycle of a product. Mm. <clears throat> and turning the business case around it, and then I came by accident into HR 15 years ago, and I got a sniff of recruitment, and I've been here ever since.、Um, mm. I think what I really love about talent acquisition is because it had to do with people, and I always like that interaction with people. And so I started out with being a coordinator, then I became a recruiter, then I became responsible for recruitment. Like globally responsible, so doing these things and building recruitment from scratch in different companies is what I've been doing for the past fifteen years. Amazing. And if is there anything specific that you took from sort of that product management role into your role now? Like, yeah, I transferred. Yeah, I usually say that I I'm like a three legged stool because、mm-hmm. I have、uh, a communications background by education. I'm an English Spanish translator. So、mm-hmm. that communication, cultural understanding, understanding how to communicate with different target groups,、um, mm-hmm. then marketing and、uh, strategy, business cases, understanding the innovativeness of building new things、mm-hmm. from my product manager time, and then of course HR. I've been doing almost everything within HR to one extent or another, 
but really the focus has been employer branding and talent acquisition. So it's like those three legs and using that, using the business side and the business understanding yeah. and understanding what it's all about, taking that into TA, I think. Mm. And you've obviously seen that more holistic view, as you said, of the entirety of the business from like that full life cycle product management and marketing and being able to have that holistic view. And yeah, it must be super, super valuable. Yeah, I think I think really the understanding of, of not only being operational, but being yeah. tactical and strategic about the function as well. Yeah. Amazing. And so now you're your global head of TA and employer branding at Bavino. Yes, I was lucky enough to start in January 21. So it's been one and a half year. Time just flies by. Uh, but yeah, that has, that has been absolutely amazing. Awesome. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Like, can, can you just tell us a, a bit about the company's mission and vision? Absolutely. It was funded 10 years ago by Heine and Tice. And um, they're both Danes. Actually, Heine is from uh, Fair Islands, but they're both Danes. And they founded it 10 years ago from actually going into stores and trying to figure out what wine to, to drink. Um, because you don't know. You go to somebody who knows something in the store and you are reliant on their opinion. So mm. it started out uh, to being a wine scanning app. So you can scan the label and then you can get the information about the wine. And then you start building a community around those ratings from the community. Mm. So instead of <clears throat> instead of a sommelier or all these um, elitists within the business telling you which wine you should be drinking, this yeah. is actually people like you giving your their opinion about what uh, wine you should be drinking. And what it has developed into now, what we are actually now, is the world's largest online marketplace for wine, yeah. meaning that we are a community-based e-commerce platform powered by personalization. And that. one of the things I absolutely love about the product is that if you start rating the wines uh, that you drink or you taste, you can get a personalized recommendation uh, as to whether or not that is a fit for you. So the company has offices in 17 entities. We're about 300 mm. people now. And we actually are entering into China even now, uh, where they're building it all from scratch to fit the Chinese market. Um, mm. So yeah, Rubino is the world's one stop for wine. I love that. And I am a avid user. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, we're probably talking about one of my favorite topics being wine right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've used Vivino for quite some time and I absolutely love it as a as a consumer. Um so yeah, hence why I was also very excited to be speaking with you. <laughs> but, uh, I, I gotta say, being at Redfest recently, it was just um amazing working for Vivino. I've never had that kind of feedback from people on the product, and it, it just makes yeah. you so proud to be in a company when you experience that. Yeah. And, and I think what you said about, you know, it's almost like more so democratizing access to wine knowledge, where previously it has sometimes been quite elitist. And, you know, you do get your sort of master sommeliers and uh, you look at a review or what something tastes like. And it's, you know, a freshly opened can of tennis yeah. or something. Exactly. <laughs> You're like what? What? A hint of grass with a, a smoky uh, <laughs> basement. Yeah, and, and I'm like, I haven't tasted that though. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what to what to expect. So I think having just like people who are just like you and I 
tasting wine and reviewing it and explaining it it's so much more helpful yeah <laughs> um, absolutely brilliant so so you joined back in Jan 2021 is that right that's true yeah then the company raised an absolutely whopping series d <laughs> yeah. um, you've got some amazing investors as well Borderton, Kinevik, Creandum um, and I think the press release at the time mentioned you would be growing the team significantly as you mentioned yeah. to sort of where you are today which is around 300 um, and massively exciting challenge to walk into I'm sure yeah. um, exciting daunting all of the above um, I'd love to hear what your experience has been like at Vivino um, yeah what you've been up to over the past mm couple of years um or year and uh yeah just what the journey's been like for you yeah it's it was absolutely crazy I started in January and I was told probably around 40 to 60 40 to 60 recruitments we're gonna hire over the year and I'm thinking yeah I can do that I just came back <clears throat> the twins were three and a half we've mm -hmm. just been through COVID um the first round of COVID and, you know, just life had changed and you were you were just in a different place. And I was looking for a space where I could try to build my career again after being a little bit out on maternity leave and changing jobs and stuff. And just coming back to a space where I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I'm just going to join the company where it's fun, dynamic, maybe not crazy. And then just take it from there, go back to my basics of just, you know, recruiting and building things up slowly. Yeah. And three months later, wham, it's like, okay, um, now it's not 60, now it's 160. Um, come up with a plan to do that. Yeah. So we did. Um, and it was basically, the I was the fifth person in HR to be hired. I think we're 17 now. Wow. Um, we, I was the first to work specifically with TA and we're a team of five. So one of the things I had to do was, of course, build a TA team. Yeah. Um, we had to change our ATS because it wasn't really working for us from a scalable point of view with the mm -hmm. things we want to do going forward. So we implemented a new a ATS. Yeah. We implemented a measurement of candidate experience so that we can measure on data the candidate experience. We implemented uh, an ATS and uh, then we actually ended up hiring 156 people, 123 of them were growth. Wow. So, yeah, that thing it was fun. <laughs> it was fun it was it, it it started as you said off as a slightly smaller target um but yeah. yeah having to sort of adapt and and very quickly sort of um you know think okay how do I achieve this new target yeah <laughs> um is is incredible so yeah well, that, but I think I've always been in high growth companies so when I joined Rumble for example we were to grow 20 percent and 10 percent of that should be organic um, yeah. That was in Rumble Oil and Gas uh, in the great um, time where the barrel was like a uh, hundred dollars and yeah. not like it is now. Yeah. Um, so I, I've and even though I've been in corporate setting a lot of the time, most of the time in TA I've been in corporate setting. It's mm -hmm. always been about the growth aspect of it and building mm -hmm. these things things from scratch. So I, I don't feel like, of course, yeah, that's a lot of uh, headcounts, but. Mm. You know, I've done that before. Um, the new thing was within tech and also building the team and yeah. preparing the organization because they had not really been part of that before. They had yeah. not done that hyper growth necessarily before. 
Yeah. And um, and almost, I think a lot of people I speak to do reference this, but like driving the car whilst also changing the yeah. wheel and like doing, you know, yeah. or an aeroplane whilst checking the engine. And yeah, yeah. we talked about the rocket ship because that was as fast it was going. Like we're building, we're, we're on, on the way to Mars, but we're building the rocket as we go. Yeah, it sounds like a huge achievement. And, and you were able to sort of see those levers that you needed to, to pull and to work on and to change in order yeah. to achieve that real high growth. So Amazing. And and something that I know you've worked on and been working on is reshaping the candidate journey at Vivino. Um, can I ask what it looked like before, what it looks like now, what drove the sort of momentum behind um, really shaping that journey um, and some of the, like, the results or the impact that you've seen? Yeah. Um, oh, a lot of questions. I'll try to see if I can remember it all. Um, so I, I think but one thing that that really is the core of me is the candidate journey mm-hmm. and the candidate experience. I've been highly inspired, of course, by Virgin Media and the whole way that coming from looking at a customer to um, a candidate and what it costs if you don't create a great candidate experience. Mm-hmm. And having that business mindset <clears throat> of TA driving the business Mm-hmm. is really my thought behind it. So what I'm when I build these things, when I think these things, I always think, okay, so what is it that the business needs? What is our strategic goals? Okay, so we are an e-commerce platform powered by personalization. So mm-hmm. what is it that, what kind of candidate experience should we then create? Okay, we should c- create something that's got to do with community feeling, mm-hmm. something that's got to do with commercial and something that's got to do with personalization. And then how do we break that down to creating a great candidate experience? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, before, let's do the before picture. This is, this was an organization um, that had experienced some growth, mm-hmm. but they were very used to hiring one at a time and mm-hmm. then onboarding that person and hiring another and onboarding that person. Just before I joined, a lot of people was uh, also promoted because they had they had been in the company for a long time were really good people. And now they were building their teams to scale, uh, mm-hmm. especially when we got the funding. So, but they had not necessarily done that before. So mm-hmm. really understanding how can you support hiring managers that have not been used to hiring at that scale before? How can you onboard employees? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really been about, um, we had this ATS that was working perfectly when you only had maybe 10, 15 recruitments, but when you had 80, uh, it, you just completely lost overview of it, both us in TA and the hiring managers. Mm. Um, that was not really a standardization on how we hire. It was just like every man for himself or every woman for himself, every person for themselves. Yeah. Um, and that kind of mindset is not good when you want to both be more effective. And mm. if you want to create a good candidate experience, it has to be more unified in how you do. And then there was absolutely no sourcing. Um, We're completely dependent on agencies to do the sourcing and helping Mm -hmm. us finding the candidates. So that's kind of like where we started out. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first thing for me was to build the team while trying to fly it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then just to to just give the tools and just try to at least just keep an overview of things. So that's what I did. And then what we have done now is obviously, like I said before, we've implemented a new ATS that can support that growth. 
that mm. can actually enable us to work differently in how we want to create that candidate journey. Yeah. Um, we launched, I wouldn't say it, it's not really, it, you know, it's a career landing page. We're still on, on building it. Um, but at least there's something from, uh, for the, the hiring, um, or for the candidates to, to come to, uh, afterwards we implemented a new ITS. Um, uh, we have started, we have defined a global process. We're getting feedback from the business now and learning like, okay, does this work here? Should we tweak it there? And yeah. then we're implementing that global process um, all over. And we're really partnering with the organization rather than letting them just do their own thing. We're really following the candidate journey from mm. start to finish. And we are at almost 100% in-house sourcing now. So we, we try not to use agencies. Yeah. And then, of course, we're measuring the candidate experience. And we're just about to launch. Um, another feedback because when candidates come through agencies, we don't have the same control over the candidate experience. Yeah. Um, because we can, candidates are like partially with the agency, partially with us. So mm -hmm. that flow that we had created couldn't really measure the candidate experience. So we're doing mm -hmm. something about that now. Um, and so we can make better decisions made based on data going forward. Amazing. That sounds fantastic. And I suppose on the data side of things, like what data are you tracking? Obviously, candidate experience. Like, are there other indicators of is this working? You know, when you're speaking to hiring managers, how we or or looking at your data, how are you understanding if what these mm. these changes you're making, whether they are affecting sort of positive. I, I think like the majority of my career, I've been traditional in metric measuring, uh, met doing these metrics like everybody else. So it's been time to hire or fill. It's mm. been quality of hire. It's been cost of hire. Though I, I usually start with like the basics and then I, I put something on when we can achieve the basics and then we can start measuring uh, candidate experience and hiring manager experience and onboarding experience, these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I gotta say I'm moving more away from that because when we talk about the business and delivering to the business, you mm -hmm. can do, you can, you have like this triangle of cost and speed and quality. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you can only choose two. And actually yeah. what I've said, like with the year that we've had, you can only choose one. Yeah. So, you know, it can be high quality, but then it won't be fast and cost less. Yeah. Or you can do a high cost and maybe you can get the quality as well, but that's not necessarily, or you can do it fast, but then you won't, it will cost you and you know, the quality may not be as good. So yeah. really thinking about that, how you can, how you can measure those things, because if we measure by time to hire, do we then hire the right people? Mm. If we only measure by cost of hire, do we then spend the resources the right way? And if we measure quality of hire, then how do we actually measure that? Is it just by whether or not they stay in the company or should we also look at their performance? But then, then we can't do that metric the first six months, right? Or the first year. We have to say, do they stay the first year? And then we have to see, do they actually perform after that first year? Mm. So I, I, I got to say, I mean, there are plenty of things we can measure on, but I think we have to, especially... You know, Vivino is a tech company. Mm. We're innovative. We're at the front of something. Mm. We can't do things in recruitment like we did in the 90s. Then it's not con consistent with the values of the company, right? 
Yeah, I love that. And I think that it it brings TA into the, you know, front and center. It, it makes TA a business priority. And I think that's fantastic. And tying it back in with the kind of the vision, the company goals and how are you moving towards them and having that real sort of, the, 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 as you were saying, the, the view of that triangle gives it a reality that I think sometimes, especially in startup world, like we, you often can't have it all. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. You need to be able to say to the business, yes, absolutely, we can achieve it, but <laughs> yeah. Here's what we're not going to be able to do, or you know, I think that's a fantastic way to see it. And yeah, you know, we we do look at your sort of standard metrics, but what else is there? And I think also, like, if you think about it that way, um, what if you deliver on all those three metrics, but the candidate experience is awful? Mm. Mm-hmm. Then it doesn't make sense. You can have all the best internal metrics, yeah. but if externally that doesn't translate you're going to have a problem in my head or in my mind. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, you know, those if it's a poor candidate experience, that's, that could impact the business elsewhere. Exactly. Become a customer, you know, it could mm-hmm. reflect poorly on your brand. So Exactly. Yeah, brilliant. And um, I think this sort of ties in with something I saw you mention on, on LinkedIn, and that was about the candidate value proposition, CVP, Vivino. Um we know obviously we are operating in a candidate driven marketplace. I'm very concerned that, you know, with the current market as it is, people are going to rest on their laurels and think that that'll change. But I actually think candidates will be more hesitant to move jobs. Um, I don't know what you think about that, but <laughs> I think that we need to, like, we need to remember that it will continue to be candidate driven. Um, so when, when you're speaking about your, your CVP, um, why what is it why is this concept um and that more human-centered recruiting really important to you and and your team yeah and i I think just tying back to what you said i I definitely believe it's going to continue to be a candidate driven market simply because there is a lack of skills um and i'll come a little bit back to what i what i mean by that and the other thing is it doesn't matter I've never been in a company where I've been in companies that it, it always goes up and down. And we mm. had the financial crisis. And in the nineties, when I came out, it was like 9.6% unemployment rate. We're in Denmark. It's like 3% now. So there yeah. are some things that's happened and it's always going to go up and down, which mm. means for a company, it becomes even more essential to hire the right people that perform yeah. in the company. And for the candidates, it becomes even more important to finding that right place for them. Yeah. Um, to make sure that they have some kind of job security or that they have the challenges that they want or should they stay where they are because they know what they have, but they don't know what they're going to get. And what if that doesn't work out? Can they then get a new job? So I think mm-hmm. ex- exactly what you're saying from a company side, we need to make absolutely sure that when we hire, we do it right. And from a candidate side, we need to be absolutely sure that what we choose is the right place. Yeah. So I, I believe it's definitely going to continue to be candidate driven. And when it comes to to CVP, I, I was looking it up the other day because I was thinking, like, how long have I actually been been talking about this? Like, when was the first time I started talking about it? And I found a presentation I did in 2015, wow. so seven years ago, uh, where I actually started talking about CVP. Mm-hmm. And that obviously has matured over time, like what I what I 
think about it when I when I talk about CVP. So CVP is candidate value proposition, but it's really about um, to be a little bit provocative. I think that the EVP is dead. Mm -hmm. I, I proclaim the EVP is dead because the EVP is about who are you as a company? Why should you choose us? This is why we're good. It's all like us, 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 us. Yeah. But if it's a candidate driven market, you have to understand the candidate. You have to understand like, what are you looking for? Can we accommodate to that? How can we accommodate to that? So yeah. that it becomes the right match. But it's about understanding and personalizing that experience towards the candidate, which mm. is also what you see in like consumer meta trends. If, if you look at the consumer meta trends for the next couple of years, the indications are that it's really going to be much more personalized in the shopping experience. Mm. And you have to have some kind of consistency across all channels because otherwise you become unauthentic. So it, it's really understanding that the CVP for me as a concept is understanding one thing, we're one brand. It doesn't matter if it's the product. It doesn't matter if it's the commercial side of it or if it's the corporate or the candidate. It's one brand. What you experience one place is also going to affect what you experience other places. Yeah, It's about turning from an inside-out perspective to an outside-in. And by that, I mean the EVP is dead and you have to think about the candidate value proposition and mm. every process that you have. Like we're looking in Vivino, we're looking at our, our candidate process and we're looking at every step of it. And we're saying, okay, does this create value for the candidate? If it doesn't create value for the candidate, it shouldn't be part of our process. So wow. we have to, and that's really difficult and we're definitely not there yet, but that's the aim of what we're trying to do. And the third thing is when I say there's a lack of skills in the market, it's because I believe that skills is your training. That is what you're, what you can do, that what you learned in school, what you learned on the job, these different things, that's your skills. But talent, that is the person. That is who you are. That is everything you bring to the table. That is what motivates you and what you're looking for in a job. So when we say there's a war for talent, I don't believe that there's a war for skills. We're all looking for the same skills, but talent is that individual. And if yeah. you want to reach the talent, then you have to you have to talk about your company and present your company consistently across all channels in an authentic way that attracts the candidate because that candidate can see themselves in that journey. You're so right when when you said about looking instead of sort of going inward outward looking outward inward and the employer value proposition being dead like it's it, it went now that you've said it it's like of course <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that's quite a tough concept for people or you know some business leaders to come to terms with as well and even when you said about the, the fact that you're looking at how each step of the interview process adds value for the candidate like, how are you getting buy-in for that? Mm. How you, especially, you know, you're, you're I'm not saying that other um, people aren't, but you're incredibly people-driven. You're incredibly driven by the talent. Whereas some other business leaders in different functions potentially could be hard to convince that it should be like a candidate value-add mm. exercise across the interview process like how how are you sort of positioning it and and able to get that buy-in 
I, I think it, I mean, it really depends on the company also, um, because this is not the first time, you know, I've been in different companies. I remember um, the first time I tried to do this, um, where the the director who hired me, he was like, we didn't know what we wanted, but we just need, we just knew we had to do something different. Um, yeah. And that's kind of like why, why they hired me. Um, and of course, I had to convince them on the way. And I think that that's really where my business background comes in because I'm used to making a business case. And it, it, I really, I usually always say that, you know, show me the money because <laughs> people understand data and they understand money. So depending on who you're talking with, you have to dig into understanding what is what is driving them. Is yeah. it the money part? Are they commercially thinking? Are they people thinking? Or mm. are they product thinking? Like all these different things and then tap into that and then convert what we're trying to do in their language. Yeah. And I think one of the most difficult things is that this is very much person to person. Like you really have to almost convince every single person, but it starts at the top. And I've been incredibly blessed in this company because from the beginning, I had the 100% unwavering support from Tyson Heine. And when Olivier came in, uh, we got a new CEO last year in August. And when he came in, he's, he's very interested in HR, which is awesome. Yeah. It can be, it can be, a, you know, a difficult thing sometimes because he will, he will have an opinion about everything, but he is, <laughs> but he's also awesome in the, in the fact that he really believes in it. Yeah. Um, which means that you do have the backup and you do have the support of the exec team. And when you do have that, it's a little bit more easy to go into the, to the uh, company and to really get people on board. And mm -hmm. I think when you do that, they're going to be fans, they're going to be ambassadors, and they're going to be people who absolutely hate it and hate the process and hate you. Not, well, maybe not me as a person, but like hate what I stand for because I'm just, just slow down, Heidi. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, what I usually say is like, give me a year. And then in a year, I promise you, they're going to be on board because I know that this will bring value on one point or another. Yeah. So I think there's a, when you ask about the buy-in, there's something I've definitely learned. You cannot do a change unless the exec team is behind it. So mm -hmm. I've, I don't even want to go there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second thing is really to understand the business and talk their language and show the value. Yeah. So use the ambassadors to drive that. So the people mm -hmm. who really want to are, are fans about what you do, then help them even more get that message through and then use those as ambassadors to drive that change. Throughout your time, just shifting shifting the focus slightly, but throughout your time in sort of uh, the, whether it's, it is previously before your sort of HR related roles or, or now, are there any big TA people related learnings that, that you've had, like whether it is at Vivino or elsewhere? Um, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely ties into um, what I've been talking about today. I was trying not to say it um, mm -hmm. because I was, <laughs> I, was I, I guess I didn't want to be repeating myself. But the one thing that I really um, I often say mm -hmm. is if I don't help you make money or save money, I shouldn't be there. Because yeah. by the end of the day, we're there to for, to drive a business. Yeah. And if I'm not part of that in one way or the other, with that commercial thinking and can show the value of the function and what we bring to the table, then I really shouldn't be there. And I com I'm completely confident about that. 
Yeah. So, so that is, that is, I've actually said that to a director once and he was like, cause he was like, HR is just like people who cost us money. And I yeah. just looked straight at him and I was like, if I don't help you save money or make money, you should just fire me. I love that. And, <laughs> and so that, that's like, yeah, yeah. my thing. <laughs> I love that. And, and as you said, you know, there is this sort of wrong perception of it's just a people related function that spends money. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it's business critical and being able to confidently say, I am here to make, help you make money or save money reduces that like wrong perception. Right. Um, and gets you that seat at the table (laughs) that you rightly should, should be having. So amazing. And, and on the flip side of that, I suppose, um, is there any advice that you've seen bandied around that you'd love to dispel warn people of any just sort of crap advice that you're like no don't listen to this don't fall down that pit hole <laughs> I don't know if it's it's such so much advice like that but one thing that that I really think is that in our function we tend to be very operational mm. and I think be very especially if we're busy and we have a lot of wrecks to fill and we are maybe in an immature company that doesn't understand the strategic value of uh, talent acquisition I think one thing is really the the um, understanding that TA is a business driver for the company and it's a key component to making money. Yeah. And I think if we if we keep on being just operational and we don't do that step up to the tactical and strategic thinking, yeah. then we're never going to be a true part of the business. We're just going to be order takers with no real influence. Mm. So I think the pitfall that you should avoid is to have your nose so much or oh in Danish you say the nose in the track but I <laughs> I don't I know that's not the expression in English so I'm trying to think um like you are so single-minded on, on closing your racks tunnel vision like this yeah. is what I need to do I need to close the rack close the rack close the rack but then you forget the bigger picture and if you don't have that holistic bigger picture mm-hmm. that's the pitfall I think because then you become an operational support function rather than a business-driven partner function. Brilliant. I I really like that. And um, if you could wave a magic wand and fix anything when it comes to people and talent, what would that be? I would love for even the HR community and definitely for the business to think um, two things. Uh, I have two wishes. One thing is TA and recruitment, talent acquisition and recruitment is not the same. Stop talking about talent acquisition in a recruitment space. Recruitment, in my view, is part of talent acquisition for sure. But talent acquisition encompasses so much more Mm. than just recruiting. Yeah. So stop making it an equal thing that talent acquisition and recruitment is the same. Stop talking about talent acquisition managers when what you're really needing is a recruiter. So, you know, let's let's be honest about that. That's yeah. one thing. And the other thing that I would really love is stop thinking that that being a recruiter is just an entry job mm-hmm. so that you can get into the real HR. Um, it is, for me, um, a completely different skill set and career path. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that is just an entry job. It's mm. for sure a specialty uh, to really do it well, especially yeah. when you move 
from recruiting to talent acquisition. Amazing. Say it louder for the people at the back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> awesome. And a couple of lighthearted questions to bring us to a close. Is there anything, Heidi, that you're super passionate about? Just find unapologetic amounts of joy in. Can be personal or professional, of course. I absolutely love to dance. Like I've I've done salsa and I've done all kinds. I have I'm not like a professional dancer by far, but I love to dance. And one of the reasons why I do that is because I I was watching well binge, <laughs> binging on Grey's Anatomy, and yeah. um, they have this thing that they say dance it out. And it's like if they there's been a stressful day or they're just happy, they put on some music and they just crazy dance all around the room and just get everything out there. And I tend to do that once in a while and I'll do it with my kids and I might even be doing it in the office so much that when it was my 50th birthday recently, when I stepped into the office, they started playing uh, 50 Cent (laughs) Happy Birthday. (laughs) So I was dancing in (laughs) to the music. Um, So yeah, we do it when we celebrate and and I think it may have um, rubbed off a little bit at work, but that's my thing. I love that. And it's also really good, like it's good to kind of just, or you know, get rid of a bit of energy, like whether that energy good energy bad energy like it's nice to move movement is yeah. so important to yeah mental health especially yeah, so, yeah exactly love that and um finally is there a value a thought or a phrase that you really like to live by yeah there really is um there are two, but one one is more important for me. Um, and this is something when I when I mentor younger people, people who are early professionals and early careers, especially, or people who want to sidetrack or do a different career change. Mm. And that saying is really, um, I don't care where I start because I know where I'm going and I know where I'm going to be ending up. Mm. So I have started my career over from scratch, coming from being, you know, product manager, globally responsible, yada, 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 to being a secretary with HR, um, being a coordinator with HR, starting at an entry job again. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've done receptionist jobs and I've done all kinds of jobs. And I don't care because I know my path is up there. Yeah. So as long as you are you know, committed and driven and know where you want, then mm-hmm. I'm absolutely certain you're going to get there. And then I don't know if you know Pippi Longstrom, uh, which is a, a children's character from uh, Astrid Lundgren, um, Lindgren. And uh, she says, she has this saying where she's like, uh, oh, I haven't tried that before, but I'm sure I can do it. So that's also kind of my thing. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, Heidi, I have had such a pleasure chatting with you today. It's been so enjoyable and um, loved hearing your learnings, your experience, your journey, more about Vivina as well. As a fangirl here, I uh, <laughs> it's been a, it has been a real highlight um, in the podcast series. So thank you so much um, for your openness and, and for chatting. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. My cheeks hurt from smiling so much. <laughs> <laughs>